recovering. It's about getting back to who we really are and what we're really here for. Give me your strength and show me your weakness. We're in this together now. We're in this together now. Season three, episode five. Wow. Back with Dan Hines one more time. I did not say welcome back this time. I really wanted to change it up. What do you think? How, how creative was that? I like it. It's <laughs> okay. good. Works for me. It's better than the time you opened by calling it recovery, which I'm not It's in the blooper reel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're saving that baby. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so season three, episode five. Today, we're going to talk about what it means to be powerless over the lie for us personally. Mm-hmm. So not in theory anymore. Today, we're going to get personal. How do you feel about that, Dan? Mm, a little uncomfortable. Okay. <laughs> you know, just a bit. Just because I don't know exactly what I'm going to say, so I haven't rehearsed this at all, but I got a sense of what I want to say. Mm-hmm. Okay. And before we get into that, I guess I should remind everybody, Six Types of Emotions course is available to you if you're wanting to feel better, do some of your own psychological work and development. There is homework as part of it. And uh, I really feel like it can be transformative for a lot of people. So far, the feedback I've been hearing has been great about what people are experiencing with it. Additionally, if you're a helping professional, it could really help your work. So you can find out about that on my Twitter page. Instagram, I don't use as much, but I, for those of you that prefer Instagram, I am on there. Instagram is at Jennifer Dawn Watts and Twitter is at Jen Watts, J-E-N-N-W-A-T-T-S, because when Twitter started, we only had so many characters. <laughs> and then we also are going to be meeting for Q Faith Community still. So that's going on. If you want to join us for Q Faith meetings, that's free. If you want to enter into recovery or even just check out a meeting and see what it's like, Dan and I do that weekly on Wednesdays and Sundays, as well as the rest of the group, even if we can't be there. We've also done meetings at the Conspire Conference uh, with up to 100 people. And the feedback that we heard from that and what people experienced by getting to be part of a meeting, it's really worth checking out. And Dan is doing some one-on-one coaching for those of you that might be interested. He's also uh, often got retreats going on. So check out his website at danhines.ca. And really the energy I want to present that to you with, even though I'm kind of rushing, is uh, these are our offerings. When I write on Twitter each morning, it's kind of like a micro blog for me. My hope is that I can give you something for your day that will be meaningful or helpful or stir something in you. These podcast episodes that we're making are for you as an offering, as a gift. And so, yeah, take what you need and leave the rest, as they say in 12-step. Now, for this episode, one of the reasons why this is important to us, which is interesting that we've been talking about our motives. Mm. Um, I think that's probably because a lot of times people's motives are hidden or they're not the best. And so, We want to try to be honest about where we're coming from. But I think this idea of, for me, showing people my own weaknesses, my own areas where I still struggle in recovery, and really be true to the idea in 12-step that all we really have is a daily reprieve based on the maintenance of our spiritual condition, 
is because that feels honest to me. And that's important for my own recovery. If I buy into this persona or this image of Jennifer Dawn Watts, whatever that is, I think I'm in trouble. So yes, you know, that's my name. That's how you can find me on the internet. Part of the reason I'm a three namer is not because it's like cool, but well, maybe it's a little bit cool, but it's also because there's a lot of Jennifer Watts. Like you want to go to the doctor. There's another one there of all things. Um, so it's just a way to find me and the work that I'm trying to present on the internet, but who I am in my soul as a child of God that is trying to be more real is different than that persona or brand. And so recovery is really important to me to stay true to myself and to stay well. And, uh, you know, I think about that thing that Jesus says, like, I think it's Jesus in the Bible. What is it if you gain the whole world, but forfeit your soul kind of a thing. And again, we can, you can, reel back to our hell episodes and evil and stuff. So we're not going to debate about whether you can forfeit your soul, but just the principle to me of somehow getting caught in ego and losing myself Mm -hmm. and the connection with myself is really real. I think it's possible and um, something that I need to be aware of and yeah, just embrace the humility of like, I show up at recovery meetings because I'm an addict, because I need recovery. And it's not that I'm an addict in some of the traditional sense and the ways that it affects people, but I'm definitely addicted to the lie. And that shows up in a bunch of different ways that I'm going to talk about. And so, yeah, I just think that there are there are even a lot of recovery people that'll be like, I was like this before and I was super messed up. Then I did this thing and now I'm amazing. You know, and it's just this thing where you, people can even tell their stories, but that was before. And that was when I was messed up then, but it's like, no, no, like I'm, I'm hanging on here for dear life. It's one day at a time for me. So that's one of my motivations in this episode is just to be honest about our own frailties and weaknesses and why we engage in recovery because we need it. What about you, Dan? Why is this important to you? I've just benefited so much from other people who have been just so beautifully open and honest about their struggles, their breakthroughs, their limitations, their their sliding backwards, um, their confusion, their bafflement about themselves, and the bewilderment of being alive, and the ways in which it's so subtle and self, you know, so much self deceptiveness within us. Um, so I've benefited from those stories and I know that my only offering is to then, you know, follow their beautiful example and do the same, you know, put it out there and know that that's only, that's the only place that healing takes place. It's the only way I know now that we can transmit or channel a grace for one another is when it comes through an authentic, gritty, (laughs) messy, glory-filled, disastrous revelation of who I am. So that's why I'm wanting to, to, I mean, that's why I'm here doing these podcasts with you, Jen. It's why I do the work I do in these circles of trust. It's why I try to to do the work I do in other areas of politics or any kind of social engagement. I'm trying to work my way through the weeds uh, and find the truth in the midst of a lot of falseness. And I also recognize that every time I, I make the attempt, even with half a half-assed um, success uh, 
at doing it and, you know, and later on looking back thinking, oh, cringe, you know, like total cringe. I didn't really get that right. I didn't really say that the way I wanted to say that. I didn't really, you know, there was a lot of ego that came up, all of a sudden showed up there, Dan, and all that stuff. I do notice the net, I just noticed the small incremental growth, though. I do notice that I'm, I'm grateful for the fact that it just feels like I'm <laughs> making some progress, which is, which is the, the hopeful part of recovery for me. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love yeah. that you brought up that word, you know, progress, progress. I don't know what we see in Canada. I get, I get flack though down in the States. I think it's because I call it produce. They make fun of me for that. But what do we, what do we say? Pro, pro, we I say, say both pro, progress, progress. Okay. I don't, I don't either know. way. I, yeah. Okay. Well, that, progress, that not, yeah, that thing. <laughs> progress, not perfection is what I learned in 12 step recovery. Mm-hmm. And I love that saying, and it, it does say in how it works, which is right at every meeting, you know, we are not saints, you know, and we claim spiritual progress, not spiritual perfection. And so no one's been able to maintain anything like perfect adherence to the principles laid out Mm -hmm. in the steps. I love that they name that. And so there is something about progress, not perfection. And the other thing that I love is, I I mean, I might've brought this up on the podcast before, but I still think it's worth mentioning is uh, my sponsor. He, for when when it's your birthday in 12 step, you can pick the topic and he picked the topic. What's the point? You know, and people went around and talked and everything. And, you know, his thing, which I guess this is one of those questions where you kind of don't really, I mean, maybe he did want to hear what people had to say, but he sort of also had the answer. (laughs) So it was one of those questions where you already want to be able to say the answer. But it was nice what he said. And he said, you know, the big book says the point is that we are willing to grow along spiritual lines. And so I feel like that's the point. You know, it's not the point isn't to be perfect or the point isn't to totally come down on ourselves. I always struggled with that at first in 12 step as a therapist, because with the concept of powerlessness and people admitting a lot of their weaknesses, I thought, Oh, like I, I, I'm in a business of empowering people, you know, making them feel better. I'm like, how is this going to work? But I realized that it does feel better to be able to be honest about our weaknesses because the lie makes us feel like we have to hide those things and that we should be ashamed of that. And so those are parts of ourself that we try to disown or act like they don't exist or, you know, hide, et cetera. And so it's very freeing. It was a de-shaming experience for me to be able to name the things that I thought I couldn't name. And so, yeah, I think that if we can do that even on some level today and, and a few parts of ourselves and we open up the space as you're listening For those that are listening right now, if you can think about what comes up for you as Dan and I talk and just notice what are those things. And you may choose to have a conversation with one of your friends about what you're noticing and and you can feel the freedom in that. Just naming it alone, I think is really Mm -hmm. powerful and meaningful and can be transformative. Okay. So Hmm. quick story. We didn't discuss this before, so I hope you don't get mad at me. I'm, I might be outing you again, just, just like I did up. in the, just put it out in there. what the hell. Right. Let's do it. What yeah. the hell. Okay. <laughs> okay yep. So Dan and I were having a conversation before lunch and uh, Dan, I'm sure as you can tell, is a very calm, you know, spiritual teacher type. You know, he's a three on the Enneagram, but I get some really good nine energy too. You know, very peaceful man. He's grounded. He's stable when I'm all over the place. And so... 
he doesn't, he's not usually very aggressive. (laughs) So it was so amazing because we had this really good conversation and he was highlighting the value of our friendship that we can talk about things we disagree on and we don't have to get aggressive and we don't have to push our point. And then he said, unlike these people, because we're in Canada right now and there's a protest all across Canada and people are protesting, getting the vaccines and they're in big trucks and they're honking their horns. And so it's not, I thought it was just going to be in Ottawa, but it's actually here in this town that we're in, in British Columbia, people are doing it too. And so the sound of the honking is constant. I don't know if the listeners are going to be able to hear, but it's just constant. I'm probably picking up the foghorn thing that's going down because <laughs> there's, there's a big truck out there that sounds sounds like a BC ferry. <laughs> yeah. And so there's people yeah. in, um, they've made coats out of Canada flag, like a shawl. Mm. And like there was like a guy, there, well, I, I love how I assume it's a guy, but I think it was probably a guy who had like a truck with the trailer and then like a big tractor on the trailer and stuff. Like it's just, it's really intense. And so then (laughs) Dan started going off about these people and how they are behaving. And he's so glad that he's not like that. And he's getting angrier and angrier and angrier. And then he says to me, he says, they are mad white people. That's what they are, mad white people. (laughs) And I'm looking at my friend Uh. and I said, I feel like you're a mad white person (laughs) totally totally and so anyway i thought it was great because it's such an example of -hmm. how we can get caught in something and then feel like it's other people that are really the problem and it's so funny one time with my sponsor he was really going off about something it was something to do with his wife and i mean we became friends over the years and so i I said to him he was really really going off and then all of a sudden I looked at him because I was in this place of like grounding and I said, and we had this kind of teasing relationship. I said, can you hear yourself right now? And he said, unfortunately I can. <laughs> you know? So there's exactly. something about what we kind of like realize. And so anyway, I just thought it was great because we're here to show you we're human. We get caught in this stuff. We get caught in ego. We need each other. We can laugh at it. We don't need to take ourselves so seriously. Yeah, so. Right. Apart from (laughs) your rage about the honking people and how they have completely have the wrong issue and they just need power. I've heard many things about in the rant. Yeah, you know, (laughs) do you want to show it for them? Yeah, exactly. Please get going. Just just purely channel that right now. (laughs) Part of part of me was just being playful in exposing. This, Were you uh, though? Oh yeah, no, no, for sure I was. <laughs> I mean, I, I was aware of, I was aware of the fact that I was, I was, I was, I was slipping into, uh, uh, but a very real part of who I am. I mean, mm-hmm. when we talk about the lie, part of the lie for me is a sense of superiority, um, an arrogance, a looking down. I mean, we're up here on the fifth floor recording these podcasts. Now we look down we on these protests. Actually looking down, yes, on these looking people. down at these protesters from up high, at a distance. They're irritating because we're trying to record, and they're honking their horns constantly. <laughs> which uh, it's been about what two hours now or something. Two like hours that? at least, yeah, yeah, and it's getting louder and more no- more noticeable. There's th- probably a thousand people. I don't know how many, hundreds of, for sure, but maybe thousands. Down. And they've locked up the roads. They, you can't all drive the roads, the roads. Are, are it's gridlocked down there because of the, the protest. So. The lie is that these people are irritating. They, they're, you know, that politically they're on the opposite side of a lot of issues for me. 
They are against a vaccine. They're, they're against wearing masks. Their signs are all about, they have um, profanity towards the prime minister. There's uh, some semi-racist stuff in this group, more than semi-racist stuff in this group. There's a sense of white supremacy that surfaces all the time in this group. I, I, I'm just a, a spe- speaking out loud what is the truth. Uh, a sense that they're they're kind of losing their country uh, that they see as being about looking a certain way and having a certain homogeneity uh, and a certain amount of nostalgia for what they view as the past and anyhow uh, all of that so it pushes it pushes buttons in me and it makes me reactive and so that's but it's so much of that is the lie so much of that is demonizing it is about the othering it's about viewing them then as a as a problem and when i just pause for a moment and really look with much more open eyes I see them as, like me, feeling that the system is out of control, feeling that they're, they're not able to have the kind of power and influence that they would love to have, that they feel that, that they're, they're discarded, that, they're va- that their opinion doesn't count. And so this is giving them collective power today. This is giving them a sense of belonging to something larger than themselves that they're connecting into they do feel pushed around. They do feel that, that there's an elite group that are running the show. And so there's so many things, you know, I'm in solidarity with them about so much of that, that, that we, we should be acting together and not just accepting things, the social arrangement and the injustice yeah, because and the you don't inequality. Like, you don't like Justin Trudeau either, right? So you guys have that in common anyway. Uh, or uh, yeah no. it's I, I don't know if it's a question of not liking Justin Trudeau I have uh, I I yeah I agree with some of the criticisms that they label okay. label against not just not just the prime minister but but the way uh, the whole political system is set up you know and I, I've and I and I know this from being involved in politics and running for office mm-hmm. and being deeply involved in a political party and still involved in a political party but I see all those tendencies in myself. I see it in my political party that, I, that I'm part of. I see it in the process. And so do I want to keep participating in it and getting trapped in it, which for me is the lie. Like, mm-hmm. you know, kind of getting... And yet it felt damn good just a second ago just to kind of vent it too. <laughs> like, it just felt good just to be able to fully give it... Because then that's the one thing that I think you and I have both have benefited from together in our friendship is there, we, I feel safe with you. Yes. Until I out you on the podcast. Yeah, until you, <laughs> until you mildly sorry. shame me in public. Sorry. You mean that? Sorry, sorry. <laughs> I'm making amends. <laughs> I, it's a public amends. <laughs> I can't say I'm not ever going to do it again, which would be a living amends, I know, but I, I can at least it. say I'm sorry. It's so, it's so good. <laughs> but but just, just to be able to trust you enough that even when I'm ashamed, even when I know that what I'm about to say is not is really tender for me or is going to expose something about myself. I don't necessarily, I'm not, I'm not proud of, I don't really like, but just, I can just get it out. And then, and then by getting it out, I can actually look at it and mm-hmm. I can, I can say, Jesus, Jesus, that is actually the case. Like just, just, just now, you know, and what I've, what I'm bumping up against is, is an uh, ongoing struggle for me to feel that I'm somehow above 
others. I mean, mm-hmm. literally here, five stories above. <laughs> but 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 it also my attitude, looking down at them, right? And and it's so easy, even even and even when I'm trying to empathize with someone, it's so easy for me to still have a, a tinge of condescension in that analysis you know? sure because we can yeah. see ourselves and we can now empathize and we're in this position where we can do such a thing <laughs> and there's this kind of pseudo fake connecting and empathizing that i've seen as well i see it a lot in politics where you you look like you're saying the right things you look like you are contrite and you're apologetic and you're but really it's you you're actually still caught in perpetuating the problem right sure so, and that yeah. i feel like that's everywhere that's yeah, in spiritual teachers that's in psychology that is in myself certainly um we talked in the episode uh about hell about again that that was the thing i was also challenged on even in that episode of like not thinking that i'm right not thinking i'm absolved not thinking these things couldn't happen to me like there is that better than energy of the life for sure and um, yeah, I think that our buttons seem different at times, which is helpful because you can have a grounding in areas I really can't and I can have the same. And, you know, I, I think that when I feel more grounded, I see my friend sharing with me something that they're very, very passionate about. And I heard you saying like, it's good to protest, but like pick the right issues, like, you know, the environment, climate change, whatever. And I just was like, yeah, like that is a great point. And so I don't think it's either or like, I don't, I think there's this way that we can suppress and repress ourselves to be a good boy or a good girl. And I don't Mm -hmm. think that's helpful either. I, one thing I do find helpful is, um, well, and, and with them, I was going to say, I could see what in you, the passion and importance of, of truth in you and what matters, and your opinion and what you're doing here on earth and why you've dedicated your lives to such important things like politics, the environment, et cetera, helping others. But also with the people protesting, I just feel this feeling of, I know what it's like to feel oppressed Mm -hmm. and I know what it's like just to eat shit pie and to take it and to feel like I don't have choice and a right to decide for myself. And so I see that the the goodness of where things come from, even though it can become misguided and I don't have an opinion on this protest one way or the other, uh, some things are just kind of out of my realm, um, but I can at least see both sides. And that's the same thing when I'm in the United States. I lived in a house in Mission Year in 1999, 2000 in Chicago, where it was the first time as this you know young Canadian girl that I was exposed to what it means to be a Republican or what it means to be a Democrat. And I had both in my house. And I was like, wow, like this is intense, you know, but I could see they would both present their sides to me. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. And I talked to them like, oh, oh, that kind of makes sense too. Like it was kind of, it was interesting to me to see the value and validity in what they were both saying. And so, yeah, I can see that today in the protest. I can see aspects of where people really feel like they want the right to say no and they do have, you know, some supporting evidence on their side for the things that they believe and why they believe it and I can also see why the government has to make certain decisions and and come up with things to protect us because there's mm-hmm. ways that we'll act and behave as humans that can cause great harm and damage to ourselves and others so anyhow I I feel like when I'm more grounded I can see humans as good and, and and where they're coming from. And I don't come from that like blame and shame sort of superior perspective. But yeah, I would say for me, so we talked about one of the areas for you where the lie can 
affect you, uh, both a specific, but then also that general sense. And for myself, for myself as well, like I, I kind of made a list the other day because I was like, oh, what is, what is it like when I'm caught in the lie? How does that display itself in me? And um, the symptoms really vary. So I was making a few notes because I do feel like if I can see it when I'm not in it, it might be easier when I'm in it to go, oh yeah, it's hard though. I mean, it feels like a disease of forgetting. And when I'm really fired up in it, it's it's hard. But you know, I if I get in an argument with my partner, I do end up taking that self-righteous sort of stance where, you know, I'm the innocent one and they're like spiraling. <laughs> so that's one where I go, oh gosh, that's sort of that that has its own narcissistic kind of flavor to it where I'm like, no, that's not actually true. I'm not the one who's in that position of, you know, being well and right and, you know, et cetera. And then the other person's not, I, I definitely have a part and that is part of my part itself. I notice for me with the lie, I really get affected if I'm watching certain TV shows and they're doing camera angles of like, women's butts and their boobs and their abs and, you know, their outfits and their hair, I start to feel caught in the lie in the sense that I've got to live up to Mm -hmm. a certain standard of beauty. And I will feel this urge to like, not go on a diet, but like change my eating habits. Um, And I'll be really convinced that like, oh, it's just for health, et cetera. But that's okay if I want to be healthy, but the real dominant connection between what I'm observing and seeing and the messaging that I'm taking in and then how I feel about my own body and myself is very strong. So that's something I have to look out for as well as even with aging, like I start debating about injecting certain things into my face and I'm like, okay, like this feels like it's not as true or as honest to what I believe. There was a point when I was this younger girl, like, oh, I can't wait till I finally look older because nobody takes me seriously as a therapist in my 20s, you know? And so there is something in me that values age and wisdom. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the spiritual teachers that look like they have a right to be saying what they're saying um, from what they've learned and how much they've invested. So, you know, that would be another aspect of the lie. Let me take a look at some of these others. So I think I talked about that kind of self-righteous thing, but also the flip side of that is feeling like a victim, you know, like, oh, nobody appreciates what I do. They don't see me. Like there is this real kind of victim story that can take over. And I become convinced that like, you know, they, they're the ones that are doing something to me and I, I'm the victim of it. I Sometimes I become hypervigilant. It's really interesting. I get this fear that I am going to miss something especially as a parent, and that it's going to be all my fault. And so I find it really hard to relax and be at ease. I'm always like, oh, is this going to happen? Is that going to happen? Et cetera, kind of this paranoia. And it really is linked back to, I actually don't know what it's linked back to, but there's something in my family about when something would happen that was even an accident, they would instantly blame like, why did you do that? Or what did you do? You know? And so I all of a sudden felt this feeling like I couldn't relax into being myself because something was going to happen and it was going to be my fault. So there are times when I'm more spiritually awake and I'm being real and we're lost in the moment and I lose that hypervigilance. It's so nice. But there are other times where it, it just takes over. So anyhow, I could go on. I have a list here. But as I was saying that, I know you were listening so well because you're the mm-hmm. listening guru, <laughs> but was anything arising in you that you thought of as I was saying that? Or 
what comes up for you. Yeah, no, identified with all of the different ways that you've described. I think they're just part of the human experience for sure. The the one I have identified uh, just recently has been that the lie often comes to me too in the form of of you're not doing enough. Oh, right. You're you're not enough. You need to be more sacrificial. You need to give more. There's so much need in the world. It comes in the form of a real negativity towards being white and male and privileged. And there's a yeah, there's a there's a there's a really powerful recognition in there that is so necessary to see the places in which I've benefited from the system. But there's an insidious undermining and a freedom then to just respond and to be who I am in the midst of an identity. So... Ooh, it's well, getting louder. I don't, know it's if, getting louder. I don't know if the listeners are hearing the foghorn now, but yeah. It uh, does sound like a ferry. It does. It does sound like a boat. It totally sounds like a boat. I hope they can. I hope the listeners can pick up on this madness with us and that we can still do recovery. I, I gotta admit, I'm so, I'm so agitated it. by these, by this honking. Like I, I'm trying hard to just zen out here and just kind of be, you know, wow, you know, this is beautiful noise and, all these people and their energy and life and what they're trying to do. And there's part of me, is just like going, Oh man, come on. I know. Like, yeah. So there it is, man. There's the rub. There's the, mm-hmm. there's that friction and that creative tension holding, you know, and identifying. And me being caught in the lie would look like yeah. just giving up. Like me being caught in the lie would yeah. be like, I can't do this with that, et cetera. And you know, maybe mm-hmm. there are times when I can't do it. I get easily distracted, but yeah. there is something about this holding the chaos and still trying, you know, for those of you listening, maybe yeah. you start listening to the podcast and then all of a sudden your kids need something or then some driver cuts you off or then you're at work and got to get your work done or whatever the thing is like, who knows where you're listening, but it's not necessarily going to be distraction free and something about this holding mm-hmm of what we value in the midst of the madness, it feels like a metaphor at the moment and what we're living in. And uh, this goes back to our conversation a couple podcasts ago about evil. But one of the things I have identified about the lie is that it's always about pushing me one direction or the other Mm. and catching me off balance. So we want to talk about sort of an evil energy in the world. But I think part of from, from what I've identified myself is that when I'm, when it's a, a superiority thing, you know, when it's like about trying to distance myself or protect myself by creating some kind of story of of being special or, you know, whatever that is, it pushes me. But then the minute I try to adjust, then it goes into inferiority and and self-incrimination and self-criticism. And, you know, so it, it seems like it's just I kind of constantly in the midst of the lie, I'm swerving, <laughs> you know, the car mm-hmm. back and forth between these, uh, and I can name other tension points as well. Um, so staying in this uh, place of heartbreak, of the tragic gap of life, you know, between my cynicism and my idealism and just pl- staying in this, um, this place of reality, you know, and that's, that's ruthlessly and generously both at the same time, self, self aware and self 
vigilant and yet relaxed and <laughs> poised and and pushing, you know. So it, it's all of that energy to stay, because um, the lie will will try to push me into either ditch. Yeah, right. Totally. And yeah, I'm, my sponsor used to say that he used to say for every mile on the road of recovery, there's two miles a ditch, which I just love, you know, but, um, but yeah, it reminds me too, that of a few things like one, I need help. That's the point of recovery is it's really different than some of these. We talked about these other kind of spiritual teachers and you can do this and you can manifest and et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, we'll talk about that a bit more in a moment, but for me, I loved when they said in 12 step, it doesn't matter who your higher power is as long as it's not you. And so there's something about this energy of, I can't trust anyone. You know, I've been burned too many times in too many ways. I can, if it's got it, if it's going to be, it's got to be me. Try, 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 try. That just doesn't work. It doesn't work for me anyway. I can only speak from my own experience. And so opening up to help and it doesn't have to be God. I mean, it can be the power of the group is more Dan mm-hmm. and you and I are more powerful together than we are on our own. And so I love the idea of opening up to help when I'm on that road of recovery. It does feel like a narrow way. It does feel like I'm trying to hold to certain values that aren't easy to hold to even with help. So I love the idea of, you know, just for today, you know, just for the next hour, just for the next 20 minutes. Can we hold to what we believe in and do this together in spite of the absolute chaos outside? You know, I love paring it down so that it doesn't feel overwhelming for me. And one other thing that came up, I really loved what you're talking about before that sort of distracting, you know, fairy sound or whatever about this not enoughness, because that mm-hmm. is so huge for me. And and you hear it when I talk about the, my body's not enough or somehow how I'm behaving in my relationships isn't enough because people aren't acting the way I would want them to act towards me, et cetera, which is very too energy for those of you that, you know, want to learn about the Enneagram or know about the Enneagram. The interesting things that uh, twos, threes, and fours are after, am I going to out you again? <laughs> Dance the three, so we're both after it, <laughs> is um, esteem and affection. Mm-hmm. Those are those mm-hmm. are really what we believe are the pathways to happiness and our kind of personal programs of happiness, which are, are just ways people's personalities orient towards something. So people who are eights, nines, and ones, they are after power and control typically. And then people who are fives, sixes, and sevens, which are the thinking center, they are after security and survival. So they can kind of withdraw into their head, et cetera. So yeah, you can see with the ways the lie affects me, it's when I'm not getting affection or not being esteemed or seen as a good person. But the not enoughness for me, first of all, I do really hear that voice. You know, in the Bible, it's the voice of the accuser, but it's this accusatory voice, accusing, accusing, accusing. And sometimes I'll just feel like I haven't done enough with my life. I could really identify with what you were sharing, that I should be doing more, that I should have accomplished more. The level I heard that between season two and season three, like having a year break to actually go on the journey 
I was being called to go upon and really go through some pretty radical transformation. Um, and you'll hear it. Like if you go back and listen to the first episode mm-hmm. of this to now, you can hear the transformation taking place. Yeah. So there's work being done in me and I feel like it's spiritual in nature and psychological, et cetera. And so even body wise, like the ways that I relate in my body and to my body are different. And so that's necessary growth. And there's no rule that says you have to do a podcast episode every week. But the amount I was frustrated with myself for not being able to produce more, to do more is really intense. And even just that overall feeling like I've been working on this book for so many years and I can't quite get the words out that I want to say about the 12 steps for everyone and just holding that tension and feeling like, what, what is going on? And that being hard on myself. And it's so interesting because sometimes I'll take a step back and I'll, I'll see what I have accomplished in my life and all of the gifts and oh, the experiences and everything. And I think no one would really believe that. No one would believe how hard that voice is on me about not doing enough, considering if they look at my life and what I've accomplished and what I'm up to. But the truth is, is that I also need a lot more rest than most people. Mm-hmm. I need play. I need joy. You know, when you're talking about that narrow road and holding on to the heartbreak, I also need to hold on to the joy yeah. and the fun yeah. and the friend time and the sleep and the, and just being in my own head so that this voice that I'm listening to, that the dance, the co-creating between goodness and myself so that it can cook for a while. I need it to kind of simmer and cook for a while until I can get some of these ideas out. And so getting here to this place with you, I think we first talked about doing a pod, doing podcast stuff together, like in summer of 2020, mm-hmm. you know? And yep. so that was a long time ago and, and it just takes time for mm-hmm. things that are half baked to become ready to be born. And so really accepting the process and honoring my other needs as a human being besides just work, work, work feels really important to overcoming the lie, especially in that not enoughness. Yeah. I do, I do really value too the spiritual teaching that there's something about the lie that is so binary. Like it's so, mm. it's binary thinking. It's so, and this, this comes up a lot in 12 steps as well. You know, this, these kind of absolute thinking, right? Mm. And, um, I love the paradox, the both andness, you know, the both and that, that we can hold. It's just, oh, the truth always seems to come to me in this very, complex set of tensions you know and that's really the place where i know i'm so yeah work and play rest and effort ease and and struggle it's all it's and and the minute I, the minute i want it to be one of those things i know i'm i'm slipping into something dishonest for mm. me right i i just know that for me that's a that's almost a a little bit of a a, a check in to say you know how and uh, I also love this teaching as well too that that there's a that there's the only way to to really live this way uh, of an honest whole life broken but whole not perfect is to do it in community like I have mm. to do I have to do this in a place where I'm not trapped in my own maze and my own obsessive thinking and my own limited understanding and I have to be constantly broken open by the stories of others, by how they hold my story. And even what we're doing now, which I think we were 
pulling and bringing wisdom out from one another and mm-hmm. um, and then also claiming in a prophetic way through our own voice what it is what it is we want to how we want to live what we want to be true for us and and then it helps to manifest that by just declaring aloud in the presence of another person in a way that I can't do that on my own I just can't do that no matter how good my prayer life no matter how much I meditate I, I have to declare it in the company of someone who can hold those words for me and witness me. Yeah. Mm-hmm, for sure. Mm-hmm. And yeah, one, another, my sponsor always had these things that he would say, but one, another one was, we're quick to see it in others and slow to see it in ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I found that true for the lie. I can see when someone else caught in the lie easier than myself, but I've also found it true for growth and the good things. You know, I can really see when someone else is trying or making an effort and still be hard on myself. So it is so meaningful, the mirroring. And the other thing that they say too in 12 step is when we share a problem, we cut it in half and there's just something about getting it out. Sometimes you just have to hear yourself say it. And that's part of becoming more free and having that witness. So I'm going to switch gears now. So we've talked about what it looks like when we're caught in the lie, both of us examples Mm -hmm. today, not way back when, and then all of a sudden we did X, Y, Z, and now we're, you know, in perfect form. Uh, But we talked about today, what it means if we get caught in the lie. The other question I had for you then was about recovery for you. What does that look like? And what have you noticed in yourself as a result of engaging in recovery practices? Well, what just came up for me was the, it's interesting what I heard in your question, Jen, was, okay, so we've described what it means to struggle with the lie or to find ourselves caught up in the lie. And then you asked me a question about recovery, but what I heard was, what does it mean to be in truth? Mm. Like, what is it? What is that? What does that feel like? Mm-hmm. And the word that comes to me always is flow. Like I, I notice that things start to unfold in a very magical, beautiful way when I'm really in that honest place. One of the indicators for me too is that there are, there's an expansiveness, there's a, an abundance instead of a scarcity. And I start getting invitations. It's really quite amazing. Like there are, there are actual real things that start to happen that I think I'm putting out some type of pheromones or I'm putting out some kind mm-hmm. of energy out to the universe then. And those things begin to happen. So for me, so much about recovery is not, it's not just about fixing a problem in me. Mm. It's about getting into this flow state where I'm really alive to the moment and I'm benefiting then because, because then I have not just so much to offer, but opportunities to offer it are are also created at the same moment. Mm. Yeah. I love that because I think it is about what we're moving towards, Mm -hmm. you know, not what we're moving away from. And that's why I like the focus on spiritual awakening in our group rather than, you know, freedom from a particular substance. Yeah. I have to say that, uh, feels a bit vulnerable to say this because I don't want to seem like I'm overly critical of any particular 12 step program, but I, I do want to be honest that in my own journey, I have had to leave particular 12 step groups because there was a lot of fear holding people in Mm -hmm. of going back out or what would happen. 
And um, that kept people there going to meetings because, oh, if you don't go to meetings, you know what's going to happen. And oh, that's going to be really bad. And I get that. I get that there are particular places in people's journey of development where they really, really need that. Otherwise, they'll go into denial Mm -hmm. and terrible things will happen to them. So I get how it can be necessary. Uh, But for me, where I was in my particular journey of growth, that felt a lot like church and a lot like that fear of hell thing. And you better keep coming and you better not God, God's going to get mad at you. And so I did really have to find my way into a recovery meeting that integrated more of my values and that was based a lot more on desire rather than a fear. And so, yeah, I, I think that it's great to remember that I'm moving towards spiritual awakening and what that feels like. What it, what does it feel like when I'm more awake? And I think for me, I loved when you said flow. I think for me, I have an awareness mm-hmm. and an attention to what is happening in the moment and around me rather than feeling distracted and kind of numb and sort of like spiritually asleep. I have gratitude for what I'm experiencing or for what I have in life or for what I've been given in the past. I have awe and an honoring of this experience of being human and getting to be involved in what I get to be involved in. I definitely think that that's a result of the practices that I've engaged in and the path I'm on. I don't think that that always happens immediately. It seems like there's struggle to get to this place, but at least if I know that eventually if I persevere, I'll have those feelings, Mm -hmm. it's worth it to know where I'm going. And yeah, I just appreciate nature. I feel a connection with animals, with sunsets, with trees. And and you can see by my Instagram, like it's so interesting to reflect back later about what I value, but like you'll see sunsets and animals, et cetera. And those are the moments where I just feel closer to the divine. And it's simple. It takes mm-hmm. me out of you know, consumerism or feeling like I need to look a particular way or anything like that. And I mean, there are other times when freedom for me has meant not just a particular look to me, but also like freedom from compulsive overeating and being healthy and it's okay to like myself. So, you know, there will be like a post with my body in it or whatever, because that was part of my experience. And sometimes I feel a bit like, oh, should I delete that? But yeah, I think it's varied what awakening can look like at different times. And I think anything Mm. can be twisted. I think there's a point when, Mm -hmm. you know, nature can be really life-giving for some people. And then there's a point in which people can sort of, I don't know, turn into I'm better than you because nature is my God and that's way better than whatever your concept of God is, whatever. Like, I think anything can get a little weird if we, again, get that superior attitude tied in with it or believe that we can't be it can't be abused or or it can't be caught up in the lie. But yeah, I, lo- I loved what you said about that. And I think as far as my question for you about what recovery looks like, if I were to reflect it back on myself, I would just say that I need practices. Mm-hmm. So I need a Sabbath every week. And that is really, really hard for me to hold. But I it's a discipline. It sounds great. A day off every week and, oh, you're so lucky and I wish I had that. It is a really hard spiritual practice to hold and it's every Monday and it's been for a very long time. It was Wednesdays before that and then Mondays before that, but I've been practicing it for over 20 years now. Mm -hmm. 
And um, yeah, the temptation that I have to work or to just answer an email or to do some stuff or the pressure I feel to work on these types of projects and to, and how, how difficult it is to reconnect with myself of like, oh, who am I when I'm not working? What do I love to do? What is life giving for me? And to be committed to that and open to that and to shift gears from a really highly active, busy life into this rest energy is um, important for me as part of this path. Attending meetings is important. Prayer and meditation is part of my life. Sometimes it's very informal. Like when I wake up in the morning before the day starts, I feel this connection with divine and I feel this communication, but it's not formally a prayer. But sometimes it is taking, you know, five minutes with someone I care about and just being quiet and how that's really powerful too. We did that the other day when I was really mm-hmm. disturbed. And then we took a time just to lay on our yoga mats in the office um, before we recorded and just be quiet and meditate. And that was wonderful. And and for me, working the steps is huge too. Mm-hmm. Like I really, I, I've been part of recovery means for a long time where people keep coming for many, many years, but they never actually do the 12 steps. So I'm like, there's something about these actual practical steps that are very, very transformative. So that's important for me, picking up the phone, like we talked about before, being humble enough to say I'm in trouble, I need help, please pray for me, really critical. Um, so yeah, so that's what some of my actual recovery practices look like. And then that, and then where do I get to, like you said, flow. Mm-hmm. But what about you? Do What are your practices that you, or are there ones that you find meaningful to getting to flow? In my own solitude, uh, mm. there's no shortcut for me. There's no other way than to meditate and to contemplate. And to, um, I prefer walking uh, than sitting, but I there's a there's a beauty to sit as well because I find when I walk, there's an ulterior motive, which is to get exercise and and you know, move my body, which is beautiful. But when I'm really when I'm sitting in meditation and doing that, you know, twenty minutes or half an hour a day whatever the, the routine or the practice I've developed for that time period, it's, it's noticeable. It's noticeable all day. Like it's so clear to me that it makes a, a, an incredible difference in the rest of the hours of that day just because I devoted that time to recalibrate and to rediscover and to, and to turn off as best I can to turn off my thinking for a period of time and to, and to just be alive to to my own gratitude, to, to the joy, uh, to tap into that really deep part of my, my own being. Uh, yoga has also been incredible for me. I, I, the, the bringing my breath together with my body to, to, to rhythmically hold them together, to feel myself on this big catamaran out in the ocean, you know, on my yoga mat is where I always imagine myself to be. And I'm, I'm feeling all the wave patterns and I'm noticing the color of the sky and I'm feeling the, the wave action through the movements as my body goes through the routine of whatever practice or however I'm being guided. I love that release. I love when I get to Shavasana at the end and I lay down and I integrate that whole hour, hour and a half of movement and breath. And the other, uh, the other practice that's become very important to me has been to write little poems, just brief little poetic expressions of what I'm experiencing. And that when those come to, come into awareness, just to, just to, just to give them expression through some simple words that I 
try to place in, and I use the limitations of Twitter now as my, <laughs> as my, uh, you know, because I love the structure. I love the fact that, that it commits me to a certain amount of characters. Uh, it's a great discipline to push up against, mm-hmm. to not get too wordy and to really strip it down and to really get bare. So I call them twikus. And I write these little twikus now that have served me incredibly well for this last year. And I probably have, I don't know, 80 of them or something like that now. Just, but they're just little brief. So that discipline of, of something creative and expressive has really become important to me. And then finding, I, I started trying to find a photograph as well online that speaks to that, that reveals something to me. I love that bringing the visual imagery into it as well. So those are a few things I can name that have become really life-giving to me. Yeah. And of course, the, the you know, I think I, f- I started facilitating these circles of trust purely because I needed them. And I was benefiting from them. And I love sitting together with a group of people and talking about what's real and having boundaries and having clear guidelines and really knowing having it operationalized and and just the structure you and I've created in these podcasts you know to really deeply listen to each other and create the space and not to ping pong and speak mm-hmm. over top of each other and not try to you know we're not here to convince each other or anything we're here because we're both dedicated to find as much truth as we can and reveal it to ourselves and others so that discipline is really important to me, the group discipline. And what I've experienced in, you know, in whenever, every time I go to Q, and the humility of recognizing how much I need to be there as much as I want to offer something for others in the group, I need to be there for myself. And every time, just notice, noticing that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, especially for Q Faith with me being the founder, I have to remind myself. And again, we talked before about pseudo vulnerability. It could become a shtick of mine, but it really mm-hmm. isn't so far when I say I'm here because I need these meetings. I really mean it. Like I'm there just as a member, show up with my cup of coffee, whatever. And yeah, sometimes I think that the reason that I have the particular service position as founder is because the divine knew that if I didn't, I'd probably bail. Like that's my personality, right? So it's like, I'm kind of stuck. I'm kind of married to this thing, you know? So although I I don't necessarily have to be because the founder of OA actually got kicked out of OA, I think twice. And so I suppose, you know, I, I it's not a given that I'll necessarily be a part of Q Faith, but it certainly helps being the founder. But yeah, I really feel that feeling of, I've tried my life with Q meetings and I've tried my life without Q meetings. And my life with Q meetings is better. Um, the times I've tried without or when I took a break, I stepped down as lead pastor, six months off. And I just noticed a difference. Just like how you were saying about if you start your day with meditation, mm-hmm. it became really clear. And uh, the hard thing about when I get too far away from Q meetings is it's kind of like the closer I am to, I used to think that it's kind of like with water, like the less you have water, the thirstier you'll get and you'll want water even more. But it doesn't seem like that when it comes to truth and the lie. Sometimes with recovery meetings, it seems like if you get a little bit away from them and you've had them regularly, you'll go, gosh, I sure miss those meetings. I need a meeting. But the further and further and further you get away from it, kind of like yoga. Like if, you, if you're really involved in yoga and you stop it, you're like, oh, I miss yoga. But if you stop for a long time, it can be really hard to 
like get that train rolling again or something. So there's something odd about that. So I like to stick close to them. You know, my one friend who works out all the time, he says he never misses two in a row because something about missing two workouts in a row, he has a hard time getting the train going. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, yeah, a few other things that came up for me when you were talking, the value of creativity, you know, for those people listening, mm-hmm. if the only thing that you can feel motivated to do as far as something spiritual is something creative, that is really this safe haven, it feels like, that we've been given yeah. that brings out who we really are because we're made in the image of the creator. So we're creative. And there's lots of ways we create. I, I even think making love, you know, is a mm-hmm, creativity totally. aspect because yeah. we're making something. And so it doesn't have to be like you go get an art project from Michael's or something like that. But you can, you know, there are, I, there, there's a wonderful spiritual path called the artist's way. And it's this artist recovery book, but because I believe we're all creatives, we can all benefit from that. Mm-hmm. And so I've had clients who listen to the artist's way on audiobook just when they're driving and they start to pick up some of the practices of like a weekly artist state and they think, what would I do, you know, to be creative, et cetera. And some people it's cooking, some people it's baking, some people it's painting, you know, some people it's like a needle point, some people it's even fashion, et cetera. Like there's lots of ways, music, but anyhow, people do these artist dates and it really starts to impact their lives and change their lives. And so I think spiritual practices can be fun. They don't have to be really heavy and serious. And uh, generosity is another one too, that I notice if I'm more awake and more in flow, I am less attached to money. And I'm more inspired to give and be generous and to be of service. And I enjoy that. There's a great book called The Gift. And it talks about how our gifts have to flow. And mm-hmm. like society is really built on that, like healthy society. So if I get kind of more closed off and more grabby to things, then that's when I'm caught in the lie. But this recovery practice allows me. And sometimes it's like, the recovery allows me to be generous, but then sometimes I have to practice generosity and then that brings about my recovery. So mm-hmm. for me, tithing um, has was something I was taught really early on in my faith and I still stick with it. And it's so interesting because I just have this thing again, that's a different take. Some people like they tithe because they don't want God to be mad at them, you know, or will, will a man rob God? The Bible says, but for me, it's like, if I have to keep more than 90% of what I've been given, I have a generosity problem. Like I'm in trouble. So that can be really tricky Mm with things like, you know, I recently sold that house in Kamloops and, you know, a lot comes in and I think, well, gosh, that's a lot of money to give away. Holy crap. But then it's like, because you just got a lot of money, man. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's like the two go hand in hand. So, um, yeah, that's another aspect of what I think God has given me to really help me so that I don't get too attached to the things that don't really bring life and kind of those false promises. So yeah, so that's where Mm. I'm at. Feels like we had a good little recovery meeting here today in spite of the chaos. So for those of you that have joined us, if there is chaos in your environment, I, I, I was thinking today, how beautiful is this phenomenon that we're here today in Kelowna, British Columbia, recording together, and somehow this will be captured and you're out there listening wherever you are, mm-hmm. whenever this is, and these words are coming to you and we're connected. This yeah. is a gift. What yeah. an incredible gift. This is one of the aspects of creativity. Uh, for so, the, so for those of you listening, if you've had distraction today, if you can feel kind of the chaos around you or even within you, just know that you're not alone. Uh, we're in this together. Mm-hmm. 
I think it was meant to be that, you know, it wasn't the perfect conditions today, but we still hung in there together. So that's what recovering is all about. It is. Okay. Well, Dan, mm-hmm. this is uh, Thanks, our Jen. last episode together. Yeah. Until we pick up another series. Until this has we been do great. another one. Yeah. Okay. So thank you so much yeah. for being of service. Blessings, my sister. Us. Yeah. All the best. Okay. Okay. Thanks. Recovering is about listening, and it's also about remembering those out there that are just like us in spiritual need. So carry the message. You can write a review on iTunes, you can share this on Facebook or Twitter, or even text the link to a friend. To keep it, we have to give it away. Because we're in this together now.